Welcome to Reset Mindsets podcast, showing you how companies are combining sustainability and profits today. We believe everyone has a responsibility to innovate for a better future. If you're looking for inspiring stories to invent a sustainable future, you've come to the right place. Subscribe to learn about new ideas and best practices when it comes to inventing a sustainable future. In this episode, we're going to interview how Not Co-Founder is approaching a more sustainable future by combining the power of AI to fuel the plant-based food evolution. By removing animals from food production using Giuseppe, an AI engine, who could learn infinite combinations of plants to replicate animal products. Notco recently raised $85 million in funding and are now positioned to really scale. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a new episode of Reset Podcast. I'm Dr. Vic Wu from Stanford University, with now Pseudo, a recent Stanford alum. And we're speaking with Matthias, the founder and CEO of Notco. Hi, now. How's it going? So I'm well. Joining us today is Matthias, the founder and CEO of Natco. Hi, Matthias. Thank you for joining us. How are you? Where are you based? Hi, now. How are you? Great to, to be here. I'm based in New York right now, so talking to you from the eastern side of the, the, the U.S. Great. So, uh, Matthias, tell us about yourself and your company. Well... I'm a finance major, so my background would sound a little bit weird to, to this industry. I've always been passionate and curious about the food space. I've always been very kind of like, I've always liked to do my research on things that I don't understand, right? Mm -hmm. And the food industry was one of those things that I was very curious about because one day I heard that eggs were good for you, the next day eggs are bad for you, one day meat is good for you, the next day meat is bad for you, you know, one day milk is good for you, the next... And then, you know, um, it's an industry with so many, you know, uh, kind of like uh, doubts, right? Is it gluten-free? Is it GMOs? Is it, you know, calories, saturated fats, you know, sugars, sodium? Every day is a new thing. And... One would tend to think that the food industry has and is based in science and technology, right? And when you dive deeper into it, that's not reality. And, and it's crazy to think about. And so as a finance major, I was really kind of like, I, I even, I was doing my internship in, in JP Morgan in Hong Kong, so nothing to do with this food world. And, you know, uh, kind of like... <laughs> What I saw in the food industry was very similar to what I saw in the finance industry in the subprime crisis. You know, you have very few companies selling overly complex products to consumers that were totally disconnected to what they were buying, where regulators became deregulated. So exactly the, red, the, the same red flags in the finance industry, I saw it in the food industry. So I kind of like tried to... My, my, my way to disrupt things, the only way to, to do that is to really understand what the problem is, right? And so it, it, generally when something is disruptive in an industry, it's because there's a new technology around it. It's not going to be a brand. It's not going to be a product that generates kind of like this quantum leap in the industry. It's always, a, you know, a technology. So in my mind, there was a system. The R&D was what I identified to be absolutely obsolete. So the guys who create the future of food and the technology and the science behind it is three guys in a lab coat, in an experimental kitchen, doing trial and error and reading research papers of 1980s on how to apply soy to replace animal-based ingredients. 
that was it. And very early on, I understood that if you think about the food industry, is the way we create nutrition to distribute to the population, right? That's that's basically kind of like the genesis of what the food industry is. Now, having limited amount of water, of land, of energy, having an ecosystem around that we should be protecting and not destroying, you know, ocean depletion, deforestation, uh, land use, water scarcity, you name it. The common denominator to every major environmental ill known to humankind is food production. So how can we change things, right? And, and, and it was a matter of consumers will, will start to choose and, and, and start changing. So there's going to be a new generation of consumers understanding what lies behind the food that they eat, right? So this is a great topic because it's about consumers. So in 2012, where I started kind of like my path throughout the food industry, I very, you know, very early on understood that social media, Netflix, everyone, you know, every platform will make, you know, will create a better understanding of what relies behind my food, right? And conspiracy was coming out and these videos behind slaughterhouses and deforestation, you know, so on, was so evident, right? So to me, you know, the, the, the industry will turn, you know, kind of like not only the industry, but the consumer will start demanding better things you know, more sustainable. And, and, and this is something that I think it's very important, which is you're going to be publicly um, jeopardized if you don't choose something good for the planet, which is good, right? Whenever public kind of like punishment, I would say that I would put it, and I quote that, right? Yeah. Publish punishment of not really kind of like being uh, conscious about our world, which we actually share, if, if, if that gets the right attention, then, you know, people will start changing their ways, their habits and everything. So I guess that's where I realized that the future was needed to be a new way of producing food. I didn't know if it was plant-based, not grown. I, like at that moment of time, I had no idea, right? But I decided to go with a plant-based world, right? I created my first company. I scaled it here in Chile. I achieved, you know, um, placement in Walmart and the product was a success, very niche because it was a vegan product. It, didn't, it wasn't very good at all. Also the technology as well. But I understood the consumer, I understood a lot of things and also the business side because I don't come from, you know, uh, CBG companies. I have no idea, you know, what marketing looks yeah. like or anything on that side. So that was kind of like my experimentation startup, which was brought up in the garage of my friend, it was a typical garage story, right? And we succeeded and I sold the company, went to the US, studied at Berkeley, uh, related myself a lot with the biochemistry department to really understand the capabilities of science. I wasn't a scientist and I wasn't going to be a scientist, but I really, what is this world of science that would help us kind of like change the industry? When I saw there it was mind blowing to me. It was pharma doing everything right. It was the technology, the science, the teams, the business models, the equipment, the machine learning, the algorithms, absolutely everything to find those molecules, you know, to really kind of like, you know, discover that, you know, solution to Alzheimer's. So these guys are really utilizing everything that's available, right? Why weren't we doing that in the food space? 
right? It's as important as asymptomatic injury, which is pharma, right? So we are preventive. So why are we doing this? To me, I, I grab this thing, the, the concepts behind drug discovery and all of that, and, and I applied it to, to, to food. Now, I wasn't a scientist, so I needed scientists, you know, around me. Yeah. Did you end up getting a biochemistry degree? Is that? No. Uh, no. I, yeah. No, I went to the, I went to Charter Center, which is the entrepreneurship and technology department there to, to do a postgraduate program that opened up kind of like the doors to whatever you wanted to, to, to kind of like dig deeper, right? People, mm. some people went to the technology or data science department or computer science department. I went directly into the biochemistry department. I talked to professors, you know. It was more of a exploratory than it was an academic degree. I stayed connected uh, to, to many professors and, uh, you know, I kind of like got the nuance of what was going on. Again, wasn't, I didn't want to be an expert. I, you know, there's people already know a lot about that that could really kind of mm -hmm. like disrupt everything. I wasn't, there was no necessity for me to be the guy who was digging uh, his hands in the mm -hmm. technology or the science because... I would, I would spend a lot of time actually studying and I'm not, you know. Yeah, there are uh, experts out there already with decades of experience. I mean, and, yeah. You know, it, yeah. the role it, of an entrepreneur is to put all the pieces together. Absolutely. And, and so I went yeah. to, to do a postgraduate program afterwards to Boston. I studied at HBS and I met Karim. Karim is the co-founder of Nopco. He's, he, ah. he's a computer science PhD and postdoc from Harvard and he... We used to work at the astrophysics department over there. Basically, he grabbed data from telescopes, applied machine learning algorithms for astronomers to understand the composition of a star, density of the atmosphere, so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, if you, if you think about it, Karim grabbed really complex data and turned it into very valuable knowledge. One of the things that we really lacked of in the industry is that we don't understand what we eat. Literally, we cannot <laughs> put into data... We cannot explain throughout data to the, until five years ago what milk is, why the taste that it has related to the functionalities related to, you know, the physical chemical properties and the molecular composition. Like you, there, there was no reasoning behind it, right? And so, in my mind, you could never replicate something if you don't understand it first, right? So first, it was let's understand the world of food. And let's understand these 400,000 species of plants in the world that we haven't even explored. I mean, we have no idea what 99% of plants can actually do. We just know only 1% or less than 1% that we just use it and utilize it to, to do everything. Mm -hmm. So no one could tell me that the combination of pineapple and cabbage can create the, you know, the milky <laughs> taste, right? And, 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 you know, a human being cannot do that either, right? Or at least, mm -hmm. I mean, they could, but there would be a lot of serendipity and it would be a lot of, you know, kind of like study behind it and the application of that value maybe won't be as fastly used as we really need to. So Karim kind of like brought this understanding of the world of food and the understanding of the world of plants. Because also it's important to say that the molecular composition of a ingredient won't tell you what the ingredient is. It's a combination and an overlap of different dimensions of data that will tell you what a product is, right? Uh, so we needed yeah. to discover what that was, right? You know, was it the molecular composition? No, because at the end of the day, you compare, you know, blue cheese and, ca and a cacao bean, and they, sh they share 73 molecules of flavor. 
and they taste nothing alike, right? And so molecules by itself won't tell you what the product, you know, really is, right? And they will give you a nuance of, you know, the families and, and not of the clusterization of different, but this had to be put into a computer that would tell us a little bit mm. and allow us to understand the underlying patterns between the molecular components in food, physical, chemical, spectral information, and the sensorial aspect of human beings when they actually put a piece of food in their mouth, right? So, you know, the underlying patterns between the molecular components in food and the human perception of taste, smell, color, aroma, so mm-hmm. on, right? So if we could do that, we could have the system, basically. We could do burgers yeah. out of plants, we could do milk out of plants, we could do, you know, mayo out of plants, whatever. We took the animal out of the equation, you know, the, the, the ability or, 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 you know, kind of like historically for thousands of years, we've been feeding plants to animals in order to generate our milk, cheese, eggs, and meat. Mm-hmm. Let's take the animal out of the equation. And everything that I mentioned at the beginning in terms of efficiency in the use of resources, but also in the environmental impact, we would yes, be indeed. solving all of the problems. And it's very directly, like it's, it's exponential, this 90% of the use of land that we would be reducing, 90% of the use of water, 90% of the use of energy. It's just unbelievable. So, you know, we needed to get to the product because I'm also a very consumer-driven guy. We won't do anything if it doesn't taste right. right? It has right. to taste great, first and foremost, right? And then everything else comes. So as a company, we will never focus on the value proposition of plants. We were always focused on the value proposition of taste. So taste comes first, second has to do with experience, third with price point and availability, you know, affordability in this case. And the fourth is channels. I mean, it has to be present in your life. It's not only a Whole Foods game or a retailer game. You know, it's everywhere. It has to be surrounded. Every occasion of consumption, when you go with friends, when you go to the restaurant, when you go to, it has to be surrounding you because otherwise it's not normal, right? How can we make mm-hmm. this normal? And the only way to kind of like move the needle is to become mainstream. You do that with all of the combination, taste, experience, price, chance, right? And then all of the rest. If it's not an sugar, if it's a non-GMO, if it's non, yeah. you know, gluten-free, you know, those are nice to cuts, you know, but the must-haves is taste, experience, price, chance, right? So that's exactly. kind of like my, yeah. What would it? What uh, inspired you to do milk first? We didn't do milk is, is first. It, oh, no. you didn't do milk first. Only, only in the US we launched milk first. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. So and tell it, us a little bit more about sure. the other products and how you came to really narrow down the products that you're bringing to market. Oh, of course, fantastic. So the other the other co-founder of Nodco is is Pablo, biochemist and biotech doctorate and postdoc from UC Davis. And he's an expert in plant genome. So he had worked, you know, in the Applied Research Center for Mars, many other, you know, yeah, for for this world never to run out of cow and chocolate, which you can relate, (laughs) you know, uh, we don't want a world without chocolate. Um, you so, do not no. <laughs> a very sad place <laughs> exactly so but we so so Paolo was very important to understand what data we needed to extract from from plants to really understand them you know because it's not trivial either it's, it's very very uh difficult to actually find those data points that will allow us to understand or predict combinations and and, and you know and, and chemical interactions and so many other things 
And so we needed to really look at plants in a way that they would allow us to predict, you know, uh, sensory experiences, other dimensions as well. We kind of like the three of us are Chileans. We met, even though we met kind of like accidentally in, in the U.S., we came back to, to, to Chile and we established this company called Notco. And the, the name is very important for me as well. It's, it's two things. Of course, it's honesty. So I'm telling you it's not milk. <laughs> Right, uh, I'm definitely telling you, <laughs> no, it's not milk, it's not burger, it's not mayo. And so, be, to be transparent, and today more than ever before, that transparency is very valued by the, by the you know, by the consumer. Uh, it creates storytelling as well. You cannot say that not burger is our single ingredient burger. It's you know, or the milk. You know, it's this combination. And whenever you talk about the product, you spend one minute and a half explaining what the product is. So the product itself creates storytellers, which is one of the things that I'm, I'm a very huge fan of. Uh, you know, the social currency of the product is told by how you talk about the product. And so mm-hmm. spending one minute and a half to talk about the product is significant amount of time, right? Especially if you're saying good things about it, you know? Yeah. So um, anyway, and there was a criticism as well to the, to the industry because it was like at one point I felt in my life before starting Notco that everything should be called Not. The yogurt that you think you're eating is not the yogurt that they're producing. The yogurt, everything that you're buying in the supermarket, it's probably not what you think it is, right? Or, or it's not anymore, you know, because processes, yes. because of many So processed, right? yeah. Exactly. So that's, that, that was a kind of like a sarcastic way of yeah. putting a name as well. So that's how we conceived the marketing strategy and everything. So we went back to Chile, started in very early 2016, end of 2015, kind of like scaling up what we thought it was a theory. We, we had no idea if artificial intelligence would allow us to help us create products faster, better, and more accurate than anyone else in the space. That was not Coast mission, right? To become an R&D powerhouse, to create products that could really move the needle in the sustainability and the environmental impact. So we, we took a lot of time gathering data, trying with certain data that didn't work, you know, and, and so on and so forth. And it was only until March 2017 that we launched our first product. And our first product was mayo, mayonnaise. Mayo, not mayo then. Not mayo, exactly. <laughs> so, it was not mayo. And it was, so this is why. So Chile is the third biggest mayo consumer in the world per capita. <laughs> we eat really? absolutely really? everything. Yeah. Huh. We, what we do you eat. use it for? Oh my God. You don't want to even everything? Google that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you will see hot dogs, literally hot dogs with significant really? amount of mayo. And it's a staple. I love mayo personally. Me too. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Chileans also do. Uh, and, and they consume more than three kilograms of mayo per capita a, a year. Wow. So imagine that, you know. That's uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think might, about that. <laughs> yeah, no, you can think about that. And, and yeah, and if I showed you how, how three kilograms of mayo look like, you're going to be grossed out. Uh, so anyway, the API and also it's a, you know, relatively easy and inexpensive product to scale. So you would mm-hmm. buy machinery from China for $30,000 and you would install it in a you know, facility and just scale it up and you would have enough inventory to access one of the biggest stores in China, right? 
okay. which is kind of like the Whole Foods. You, you, it's called Jumbo. Uh, it, it has only 20 stores. So we started off like that. And the product was a phenomenon. So the product was really tasty. We, we replaced eggs with uh, chickpea and lupin. Lupin is another legume. It's kind of like a very beautiful mm-hmm. flower. Understanding that the amino acidic structure in an emulsion really replaced egg whites. Uh, so, you know, it was a very, very nice product. And the number one um, driver of sales what was in-store tastings. People that try it, Great. so 82% <laughs> of the people that try it bought it and 80% repurchased which is a significant amount of people repurchasing and also converting. We achieved 8% of market share in only eight months of sales in that uh, supermarket, which kind of like created Incredible. our first... Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, was, it was unreal. It was unreal. We, we were flying, you know, with excitement. And that was our first round of funding. It was December 2017. It was led by Kasek Ventures. Kasek basically are the biggest VC in Latin America, the more the most successful VC by far, the creators of the Latin American unicorns, not only that, but the founders of the you know of Mercado Libre, which is basically the biggest company in Latin America, which is the Amazon of Latin America, right? Mm-hmm. So Mercado Libre is market cap, you know, eighty billion dollars in, in Nasdaq. And it's a company that is that was bred by these people, right? This these guys founded the company, so they really knew how to take a company from Latin America, from one country to the region, to the globe, right? And so great, great partners of ours until today. They have been the greatest uh, by far. These guys really are something else. Stanford graduates as well, so both of them MBAs at Stanford. <laughs> great guys. They, they helped us scale. In one year, we were scaling the product into absolutely every store nationwide in Chile, including Walmart. Walmart becoming the number one client of the company. And imagine a plant-based company in Chile, you know, accessing the mass market with double-digit market shares. Like, it was crazy to think about, right? And so then, of course, we scale kind of like the, the, the manufacturing capabilities to Argentina, to Brazil. We launched the Mayo first, then we launched the milk and then the ice cream, and then the burgers. In the way to get there, we, we raised a $30 million round back in 2000, very, on, the, on the very end of 2018, beginning of 2019, it was a $30 million round led by venture arm, you know, 3G's uh, venture arm um, called Craftery, the Craftery, it's a London-based fund. Basically, Sawelio is the general manager there, board member of Notco. He's also board member for ABI, Ambev, the biggest brewing company in the world. He is board member for Kraft Heinz, for Barrical about mm. ex-EVP of Rekid Ben So he leaves and breathes CPG, right? He understands that side of the world, yeah. And you will, you will always notice in Notco's investors that it's a pretty amazing balance between tech-oriented investors and and mass market and consumer, you know, oriented investors. And that's great because at the end of the day, how we define Notco is a tech company that because of what we think, we basically end up producing food. We could have ended up doing anything else, you know, probably the same as Tesla. Tesla is a tech software company that because of what they believe, they started creating cars, right? 
So anyway, just like to rub up, you know, it was Chile, Argentina, Brazil. It was mayo, milk, ice cream, burgers. It was Papa John's. It was Burger King. We developed a product for Burger King only four months. I was, you know, setting up first week, two, first two weeks or first month. I don't remember very well, but it was 43 units per store per day that we were selling. So we were creating wow. a real impact. Uh, burgers we launched back in, what was it? Burgers we launched in eight months ago, and we achieved 5% into the 5% market share of the total burger market in only eight months of sales. So as a company that we were built up and, and from the get-go, we said we need to move the needle. We were moving the needle, right? And so that's where yeah. we received this 85 These are incredible million, numbers. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we received $85 million of funding uh, August last year to finance also our scale-up in the U.S., right? And it was a pretty fun story. I'll end up with the, the $30 million round that came in 2019 helped us scale even more, getting to new countries, getting into new geographies, kind of like improving on R&D, our technology too. Also, and this is what, what kind of like steals the, the, the headlines of Notco, which is the investment of Jeff Bezos in the company, right? Mm-hmm. And the story is, is, is actually throughout a Stanford professor. I went to, well, CASEC, as MBAs of Stanford, they do this activity for the portfolio companies. Every two years, we go to Stanford for one week and we have kind of like a, you know, a leadership course or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, and one of the teachers there said, uh, he's, he's, a, he's a professor for, of, of the MBA as well. I know maybe you know him. It's called, his name is Jonathan Levav. Levav. Yes, uh, wait, I, we looked him up. <laughs> I oh, don't know okay. him personally. But. <laughs> okay. So Jonathan just asked me, literally in his office was like, Matthias, if you had to choose one investor in the world, what would it, like, who would that be? And I took zero seconds to answer Jeff Bezos. And so he said, okay, let's, let's see a way to actually access him. And I'm like, okay, of course, you know. And three minutes later, uh, he was he he was raving, saying, "This is your lucky day." I I went to the Princeton undergrad with the general manager there, which is Melinda Levinson. I was like, no way, yes. Um, so he actually shoot a blurb to to Melinda, saying, you know, telling a little bit about Nordco and so on. And she was like, I'm interested. And yeah, three days later, I had a meeting with her and. Three days later, uh, after our call, he said, she said, like, um, Jeff, Jeff loved, you know, the, the company, the, the, the technology, the team, the brand, everything. So we're going to invest. And I was like, wow, yes, exactly. So well, it took oh, only 10 days to raise a good amount of money, right? Even less than that, I think seven, seven yeah. days. Yeah. It was super <laughs> crazy. story. That's crazy. <laughs> And yeah, you closed yeah. your last round. What are you, some of the challenges you face now? Uh, so, you know, you've raised your money and yeah. you're well positioned. You have your distribution yeah. together. No challenges now, challenge. right? No, always challenging. Every step is more <laughs> challenging than the, than the previous one. So, so you know how startups are. For a founder and a CEO of, of the company, one of the biggest challenges you face in an organization is understanding what's your role in different 
timings and in different, you know, uh, timings of the company, right? Should you be more addressed to the operation or should you be more addressed to the strategy or should you be more addressed to the culture, right? Keeping the culture alive, you know, it's not going to be a museum of people, you know, it's from from secondary without like PhDs into, you know, data science, into yeah. marketeers, into brand managers. So it's a very kind of like, you know, complex organization to actually manage. And so, and you start bringing a lot of experienced people and come with the, the corporation mindset and you have to kind of like break that in order to adapt to this very flexible environment as well. So that's a big, you know, that's a big challenge. And the rest is the market, right? Do we have the mar- the, the product for the market opportunity that we're seeking? Do we need to tweak it? Do, what's the next product of Notco? Is it worth funneling one uh, product, you know, to really obtain the most market share that you can to then go to the next one? Or are we losing some opportunities? What is the trade-off of not launching the burger? What is the trade-off of not launching the ice cream? You know, what's the timing? So timing is very, very important. Focus, you know, on one thing, do it well, create a success case. Because when you create a success case, there's nothing more replicable and inertia momentum building that a success case that's to me personally right and so that has allowed us to come from not milk in the whole and two percent version in whole foods to wegmans to sprouts to 185 independents to opening up unfi and kgs distributors uh, to nailing down qsrs and, and so on so yeah Fabulous. challenges well, everywhere well. challenges everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> How many people do you employ now across 300. the world? 300. 300. Yeah. yeah, I think that to scale up, I think this is a make or break point for a lot of founders because it becomes yeah. a very challenging role, like you said. You know, where should you be spending your time? Follow up questions? Yeah, one question about because you mentioned the market, how do you see the competitive landscape? There's a lot of interest in this industry. How do you see that? And then another question relating to it is how do you scale? How do you plan to scale NACO even further? The competitive landscape is very competitive. You know? <laughs> and and there's, there's, there's a clear opportunity, but it's hard to educate everyone as well. So this is kind of like the, a, a very big challenge. Nobody wants a new alternative milk. They are already raving on the almond, oats and soy. And I mean, kind of like, the what we've encountered is your ability to create a product that the consumer needs but it, they do not understand they need right so 60 percent of the consumers of plant-based today are not happy with the taste of the product they buy which is to me doesn't make any sense and there's 30 percent of the cow milk's consumer that want to change to plant-based but they cannot because they can't find what milk brings to you know the table right and this is an excellent opportunity and that's why we launched milk before anything else so will we want to champion the plant-based milk that tastes like milk category yes is there enough need in the market to actually create this product yeah the market fit is fantastic for this product right do we have the right product we did the cbt test with pnk and we tasted in a blind test with 200 households in the U.S., statistically parity to milk, and three times as preferred 
as the highest growing milk alternative in the US. So, no. you know, to us, it's a, it's a no-brainer what, what we've done. And this is reflected also in the sales and the momentum that we got, you know, in, the, in, in, the, in, in Whole Foods as the first target, right? And then Wegmans mm-hmm. and then and the others. Yes. Um, so it is competitive, but we think we have a value proposition that no one else has at a price that is very affordable and should be with brand awareness, with validation of QSRs, with validation of investors, we, we, we you know, I know that we will be getting into a mainstream position uh, sooner rather mm-hmm. than later. Fabulous. Now, do you have any other questions before my very last question for? Let's <laughs> the do the last question. Yeah. So what are your aspirations to realize a uh, sustainable world? I see that you have a guest or something. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. I mean, we can wrap up. In, no, in no, the last I'm, 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 no, no worries. I'm, I'm okay now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what are your aspirations to realize a sustainable world in the future? What, where, where would you want to see it? Like personal vision or yeah. otherwise? <sighs> I, I always see, I, I always see the world. I mean, and, and history and every everything that comes in the future is a consequence of the past. Uh, I saw, you know, in my parents, probably an older generation that was a little bit confused on understanding what was important, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it was more about this world of globalization and freedom and, you know, kind of like, no consciousness of a lot of things that they were doing, you know, to other species, to the world, to the future generations. They have, they had no nuance of that. You know, I was brought up with absolutely no nuance. What was behind my stake or my, you know, nothing. And I'm, I'm a well-educated guy, which I think my parents should have taught me this, you know, and should have been <laughs> in the conversations of my of my family or whatever. But I never, I never even asked this. So I definitely think that the future will be a consequence of the past and the past or the present even, you know, is a present that, you know, it's starting to change into a very conscious generation, an easy generation. They always want the solution fast and technology adoption has been absolutely massive in the last, you know, in the last years. I mean, even my grandma taught me how to order online. Imagine that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very big cultural clash uh, that we're, I think the future is going to look like, I'm a positive guy, I'm, I'm very, you know, bullish on, we're going to have a better world, more conscious, people thinking better and understanding that this world is just one and we need to protect it as, as much as we protect ourselves, let's protect the world. And so I see a better world in terms of sustainability, you know, we're doing things that we weren't doing definitely, you know, even five years ago, imagine that, you know, even mm-hmm. 10 years ago, five years ago, this is a whole new world and a new generation. So I think this is the starting point of, of a whole new It's very era. exciting. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So my, my follow-up question to that is, what is your advice for an entrepreneur who is looking to really make the world a better place to be and passionate about sustainability? Well, I what would you to, say to your, like twenty-year-old self or something like that? Oh, I would say you're going in the right direction, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I will tell him that uh, everything he's thinking about is not that crazy. Um, you know, there is there is 
there is, to me, in my opinion, um, there is no justification to create something without social impact today. There's none. I mean, mm. in my opinion, right? If, if there's something, you know, just create things that are better for the world or create a better place, the monetizing model will come, the, everything will come, yep. but with the purpose of really, really, you know, affecting positively very, you know, all of the world, human life, you know, and, and the rest of the species that we need to protect because they're mm-hmm. becoming extinct every day. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, my advice would be that just focus on the thing that you really believe and you're passionate about and the rest will come. Fabulous. Thank you. Well, uh, Matthias, thank you so much for joining us today. I loved hearing every twist and turn of your story, dominating the, the Chilean mayo market, and <laughs> actually visualizing three kilos of mayo in my head. <laughs> now, do you have anything else to add? Um, no, just thank you for, for the invitation. Yeah. Glad to, to meet you. And uh, it's great that what you're doing. I think it's it's part of what what this new generation actually needs. So, Matthias, oh, yeah. one awesome. quick thing that I want to ask. Tell us where we can find your product. Oh, in the US, you can find it at Whole Foods, Wegmans, Sprouts. What else? I mean, Amazon.com, you can just order it online. You know, I mean, burger, ice cream, mayo, you will find it in Latin America, in probably every country, um, in Latin, and uh, soon, let's hope, in the US. Great. Awesome. awesome. We look forward to the, the, the other products as well. Yeah. So this wraps up our episode with founder and CEO Matthias. Is it Munchnik? Is that correct? Munchnik. Munchnik. Okay. We hope to bring uh, you back in a, a few months' time and for you to give us another update. And listeners, thank you so much for your time. And until the next episode, we will see you soon.